Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. We are in week 12 of Letters to Troubled Churches, and our brother Dan Gelock has done a tremendous job in consistently leading us, and Bryce, I think in the second week, and uh, I'm personally appreciative of that. The church at the city of Corinth, we know, was uh, not in a good light in the first letter of the Corinthians, and we've walked through why that is so. And before we jump into the theme for today, which is faithfulness, let's do a brief review. If you have your handout, I just have a couple of questions to ask, see what you remember from the first couple of weeks, and just to get a a bearing, especially if you came in maybe halfway through this study, the city of Corinth was located on what type of landform? Who knows what that was? Isthmus. Someone said it over here. Yeah, good job, Deb. An isthmus, narrow strip of land about four miles wide, and it was uh, on a plateau. And it was elevated. Anyone know about how much? How many feet? A bunch. Good guess. That kind of covers it. We'll move on. No. 300 feet above sea level. The city of Corinth is located approximately how many miles west of Athens? Anybody? If you don't know, don't speak up, okay? It's 50 miles. 50 miles. And on the back of your handout, you can see that. Where Athens is, where Corinth is, and you can see where that narrow strip of land uh, funnels all traffic from the north and south, the foot traffic, as well as uh, those who are traveling by sea that need to pass through that narrow piece of land and you can read about these rail systems that they had that would they'd put ships on and guide them across the land there the highest structure in Corinth and other Grecian cities is known as the what it's a restaurant in Evansville Acropolis very good Acropolis which literally means high city and uh, Dan told us about how um, pagan that Acropolis was. It was dedicated to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. Um, a lot of immorality stemmed from that. And uh, the name of the peninsula that Corinth is located on is the Peloponnese or the Peloponnesus. And... Uh, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of review of where we are in the world. And uh, Corinth being at that central hub of all of that travel for the merchants and business of the area thrived economically. And it, of course, it forced people to go through the city. It forced them to spend money there. And 
we have a lot of uh, reason for why it was so corrupt. If you see some of the big cities in our own country, we know that as the scriptures tell us, the love of money uh, does indeed corrupt. It's the root of um, evil. And so the sinful heart that man has naturally always tends to show itself more with affluence. And I was thinking about these uh, little toys that you get. They're like the size of a pill, and they have them condensed. It's like a polymer, and it's condensed. And then uh, it has a form, but then you put it in water, and then it, over time you see it balloon up to like a six-foot giraffe or something like that. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of what affluence does to uh, the heart of man. It's already naturally sinful, and... A lot of times people hide that sinfulness the best they can uh, until they gain power or wealth and then the doors open and, and all of that evil spews out. And so that's why scripture tells us that it's very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God in Mark 10.25. So this Corinthian church was founded by Paul in AD 50, according to documents and time timelines and it was along his second missionary journey we know he had um, a great mission in the Mediterranean and first Corinthians was written then this first letter that we've been studying uh, five years after the church was founded in 8055 and it was on Paul's third missionary journey while he was in Ephesus for three years that he wrote this letter. And even though the church was only five years old, it was divided. It had immorality that rivaled the pagan culture that surrounded it. And we know there, were, there was much pride. There were wealthy people within the church. Um, not that wealth <laughs> wealth is not the only indicator of pride or the potential for it uh, because we all have it and uh, there was no contrition there was no no one calling out the sin that was there there was no contrite heart to uh, desire repentance and so it was a very grave situation and Paul knew that and he took it personally as their spiritual father he was the one who planted that church, and he, of course, was the shepherd of that body, even though he was away from them for a time. So, in this letter, we see that Paul did not turn his back on the church. Hearing these reports, we probably could wonder whether or not it was a church at all. It probably didn't really distinguish itself from other social gatherings in the city, especially when you have people, we have reports of drunkenness at the Lord's table. And uh, I think it's good that we have the cups that we distribute. I'm just kidding. For the Lord's table, we only give this much. It's non-alcoholic, so that's a good thing, right? But there was a great problem with the abuse of the sacraments and the abuse of spiritual gifts and we've discussed these things so I'm not going to, going to go into detail in those again but 
when Paul penned the words of this letter to them, it wasn't, it wasn't an outsider giving advice from afar. It was as a father instructing his children. And we know that because all scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, that this letter was truly from the heart of God. And the mercy of God that we find in the midst of these heinous and blatant abuses in literally every area of life, in the home, in public, in the heart, this treatment that God had of the church at Corinth should cause us to praise God uh, for where he has um, carried us from in our own sin and uh, personal lives. So as we look at 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, if you would open to chapter 16 so you can read along with me. And um, our brother Dan Gielock gave me this passage and he gave me the theme. So direct all of your questions and things to him after this is over with and he'll be happy to receive those, I'm sure. All right. Well, let's pray together that the Lord blesses our time as we consider his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for our morning and the beauty of it. We thank you for our safety of, in travel. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the fellowship we have here and pray that you would uh, grant your blessing to it. We also pray that you would um, give us wisdom and give us understanding of your word and then a desire to apply it. And we pray for those that are not with us our teacher, we pray that you would bless him and his family as they visit, and we ask that you would be with those who are not with us because of physical problems and um, even apathy. We pray for any reason that they would uh, be back again soon. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I titled this uh, Faithfulness on Your Handout. For myself, I'd put Corinthian Faithfulness. That would be an oxymoronic phrase at the time of the first letter. Faithfulness is, by definition, the quality, the NESS gives the quality of being faithful. The Corinthians were not faithful to their calling. The definition of faithful is one who is steadfast and loyal. And that would be two answers in your hand out there. Steadfast and loyal. The faithful person is able to bear the weight of someone else's trust without corrupting that trust. A faithful husband is able to bear the weight of the trust of his wife. She trusts his loyalty to her alone in the marriage relationship. He bears the weight of that trust without faltering, thus making him a faithful husband. A faithful employee bears the burden of the trust of the employer. The employer, the boss man, entrusts to the committed employee some great responsibility and the employee must bear the weight of that trust 
showing up to work at the expected time, reporting the register totals at the end of each night, making sure all the doors are locked at closing time. All of this bears the weight of the boss's trust. So if the employee fulfills each responsibility as commanded, then the employee would be deemed a faithful employee, and the boss's trust would continue to reside on that faithful employee. When Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, he went from a life of unfaithfulness and just enmity with God to a life of faithfulness. Ananias was the man who went to meet Paul in the temple, the synagogue in Damascus, to pray over him. He didn't want to go. He said, isn't this that Saul who was so um, at odds with your work, O Lord? And the Lord says that he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. A chosen instrument of mine. Another thing to consider there, bearing the name of Christ. There's that weight, that entrusting of his name upon Paul. He shouldered the weight of the Lord's choice that rested upon him. Was Paul going to be faithful? Or would he shrug off the weight of this gospel stewardship and join the long list of the unfaithful? Because there is a very long list in Scripture. The evidence of Paul's faithfulness to the Lord is evident with the effective disciples that followed after his death. The ministries that continued, the churches that continued long after his death. When the king of kings entrusted this great responsibility upon Paul, he shouldered that well. He writes in Ephesians 3, 1 and 2, For this reason I, Paul, he calls himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. He understood his responsibility. He referred to this entrusted gift as having received the stewardship of God's grace. He knew that he was not his own, that God's ways were now his ways, and if Paul was commanded to visit a certain city, although he wanted to visit another city, his own will was overshadowed by the will of God. Now we know the Corinthians, of course, were not being faithful, and they did not have this ever-present remembrance that Paul had of his stewardship of the gospel of Christ. And when we forget, it often leads into unfaithfulness. So we're going to read verses 5 through 9, just so everyone knows. The word, faith or, uh, the word faith is used once, but faithful and faithfulness is not. But we know that faithfulness is a hallmark of the believer. 
and it's written upon literally every page of Scripture in some form or the other. But we'll start in verse 5. It says, Paul says, But I will come to you, because he's in Ephesus now, after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that I may... So that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. We'll stop there. What are some of these distinguishing marks of faithfulness? Well, a good faithful steward, this believer Paul, being entrusted to carry the gospel of Christ, does the Lord's work in the Lord's way. The faithful steward has a vision for ministry. They're always looking ahead to build the kingdom. Paul had a plan. He was looking forward to the times that he would leave, the places he would go, and the people that would need to hear the proclamation of the gospel. He was going to go here. He was going to go there. He communicated all this information to the people of Corinth to, number one, let them know that they were not abandoned by him, that he was coming to them, also to give a timeline to give them necessary um, time to fix things that were aberrant within the church because we know that these great problems could not be cured overnight. These are very deep-rooted problems. So giving them time. And number three, it's important to say here that Paul did not want the people to do what he wanted. It was all within the will of God. He desired what God desired. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, it shows us this heart that Paul had. He wasn't a puffed up, uh, self-glorifying leader giving them all these commands. He writes in the second letter, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. And at the end of, actually, chapter 13, and then at the end also, um, doing all things in love, um, he did this in love for their own edification. So always looking ahead and planning forced Paul to remember that all of these people under his care as a spiritual father would be accountable to God. And I know when Pastor Ernie and Pastor Bryce preach, they have that in mind. They're accountable, and the people are accountable to the hearing of the word and the application. And we know it's a grace given by the Holy Spirit that we're able to understand that we desire to do good, that the word has an effect in our lives, yet the responsibility to obey is always present. It says in Matthew 25, in the parable 
of the master and his faithful slaves, with the exception of one, in verse 19, says, Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came, Christ, and settled the accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents, and by the way, the word talent simply means weight. So this weight of stewardship that I've been talking about can be directly applied to even the word talent here. There's this weight. Some have a greater weight or a burden of responsibility, and some don't have as much responsibility. We know that our pastors have a great responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. Well, it says, The one who had received the five talents came up, and he brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained how many more? Anyone know? Five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then we have later the contrast of the unfaithful slave. Remember, he was the one who hid it in the ground. And his response from the master is, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. And that was actually using the words of that unfaithful slave against him because he said those things earlier. He said, You ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is quite an end to that parable. So the reality that these dear people would be accountable to God was always in the heart of Paul. He was planning for the master's return. And uh, something else that we should notice in this is that we shouldn't always be bothering about our own schedules to the point that we ignore what's happening around us. Paul desired to go to Corinth, but why did he not go? What does the scripture tell us? A wide door of service had opened to him. And he was going to take advantage of that. Why? Because that was what the Lord desired for him. And it says, uh, some of the less mature believers, when they heard of this from Paul, they took offense that he wasn't following through with his original plan. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. There were murmurings about, you know, Paul didn't arrive at the right time and he didn't uh, do what he said he was going to do. He says, In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. 
He talks about passing through Macedonia, or going through Corinth, passing through Macedonia, going back up, and going there twice. But, he says, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? He said, or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time. What he was saying was, I cannot certainly give you my future plan. I have plans, but there had to be a, an understanding by the mature, faithful believers there that when the, when the Lord changes that plan, there has to be some flexibility there and some mercy granted to Paul. Right. Darren is saying that the phrases that Paul uses, perhaps I will stay with you if the Lord permits or if the Lord wills it. Um, so the people had to understand that this was tentative. But yet, he had, he had an issue with the people not understanding that. And so we should also grant mercy to those that we're in ministry with uh, that if someone says that they're going to be able to do something, um, by the way, uh, men's breakfast in March, uh, David told me this morning, he also has the topic of faithfulness. So men, part B in March. So I know you can't wait. Get your tickets now. But there has to be mercies given to the flexibility of the work of God. It's a very organic work. It's not rigid and structured to the point that we ignore the needs around us because our schedule says we should do such and such. And uh, John MacArthur tells about a man of his congregation a few, I think a couple of decades back now, but he was uh, Jewish in heritage. He was converted and went to the master's seminary and had a heart for the French-speaking peoples of the world. So he learned the French language, and his desire was to go to France, be a missionary there. He got approval from the church body uh, to support him and became a missionary to the French-speaking Jews in Montreal, Canada. So we must be about our Father's work to the extent that we are subject to his plans and not our own. MacArthur stated in an interview, he said, No one knows the future. All I can do is teach the Word of God, live a faithful life, disciple the people that God gives me, and only he knows the future. We are required to be faithful. So Paul tells the Corinthians in verse 9, again, that because of this wide door of service, he's going to be staying a little longer. Something else that we should consider in our giving mercy to each other whenever um, we 
you know, place trust in a fellow member of, uh, in the body of Christ and, you know, we think they're going to follow through with some task that we've asked them to do, but because of some circumstance or because of a, a conscience issue, they say, um, either I don't feel comfortable doing that or uh, this isn't a, a good time for me to do this right now because of these other great responsibilities that I have. Paul asked Apollos to come. And uh, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12. And I'm not skipping over Timothy because I love to read about Timothy. He's sprinkled through Paul's letters. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid. Remember, he's the young guy, a little timid at first. Without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him. But send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. So they're expecting Timothy to be carrying this letter, perhaps, or just to be amongst them in the future. But verse 12 says, But concerning Apollos, our brother, and this is one of those names that had his own faction within the Corinthian church, still a faithful brother, though, he says, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, because Apollos was with him um, in Ephesus with Timothy at that moment in time. And he, he was pretty much begging Apollos, please go to the Corinthian church. But he said, it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Paul didn't cast him down as being, uh, you know, that divisive Apollos. He didn't say, and he didn't give me a good reason either. He just said it was not at all his desire to come now. So we have to be understanding with our fellow members within the body that our desires are not everyone's desires, uh, but everyone's desire should be the Lord's desire. And that's part of the beauties of the organic church structure and all the ministries that are taking, taking place around here in other churches. So why is it that people are unfaithful? If there's so much to gain, especially from that parable in Matthew 25, being good stewards of the gospel, being faithful children of God... Why do we have unfaithfulness? What causes that? Yeah, Rick? Okay, people following their own desires. Okay, maybe cares of the world burden them to the point of despair. A lack of trust. Cowardice? That's a harsh word, isn't it? Cowardice. Maybe, maybe the person is a liar. Maybe they don't care. And so whenever you look at the lives of others, we don't say, he's faithful, he's unfaithful, because we don't know their hearts. But we know our own hearts. And... If we are not 
following the commands of Scripture and living the life as stewards of the gospel, which again, I'm going to remind you, is such a weighty responsibility. Are we lying to ourselves? Are we being flaky? Selfishness? Following our own desires, as Rick said? Well, to address this, Paul exhorts these people at Corinth, these believers at Corinth, into the positive. Most of this letter's been negative. But this is the positive. This is what you must do. In verse 13, he says, Be on the alert. These Corinthians had been too lazy to be watchful. And by their lack of focus, Satan, as a roaring lion, had begun devouring this church. As we are warned in 1 Peter 5, 8. They were unfaithful watchmen. The faithful are alert. The second thing, he says, stand firm in the faith. The Corinthians had compromised the word of God in regards to doctrine and that stemmed from those that were not firmly grounded in the truth, the word of God. The faithful are firm in the faith. They hold to the things that have been taught in Scripture. The third thing he says, act like men. Some translations say, quit you like men. Um, you could say, be mature. Don't act like children. They were immature in their treatment of one another and the things of God, these sacred things that had been entrusted to them. The name of Christ. Well, the faithful seek the best for each other and do all things for the glory of God, forsaking their own selves. That's part of acting like men or like mature individuals. Be mature. Fourth thing, be strong. These Corinthians, let's face it, they were weak. In trial, they were given over to temptation. They were flaky. They were not willing to confront the issues that they faced through godly church discipline. There was no, no movements to fix the things that were happening. And it says uh, the faithful here are strong by helping the weaker brothers and sisters who are battling temptation or trial. We all go through those times. And the faithful are strong. They do not run in cowardice when they have opportunity to edify the body and glorify God. So they're strong. That's why he says, be strong. And verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Is it loving to be divisive? Is it loving to indulge in the lusts of the flesh and the world? The faithful do all in love because love seeks the ultimate good of your brothers and sisters. The faithful deny themselves and follow Christ in unity and they exhort each other to good works just like Paul's doing here. When we read verses 15 to 20 now to finish up, Paul lists several individuals who are not only early converts in the Corinthian church, 
uh, but who are currently integral in the success of this church at Corinth. These are co-laborers, and we'll go ahead and read these verses now. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, he says, You know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Paul states that the body is to be in subjection to such men. No one in America likes to be in subjection to someone else. Because we are independent-minded, and we desire what we desire. That's part of the uh, attitude, not you personally, but part of the attitude that we get from, from some of the American um, neighbors that we have. No one wants to be in subjection to anyone else. But amongst the family of God, there is a mutual respect among all of God's fellow workmen who see each other not as this title and that title, but as joint heirs with Christ. Paul knows that each believer working in the fields of harvesting souls for the kingdom is important, and that we must be in, sub in subjection to the leadership of the local body. We are faithful to the Lord when we are faithful to his model for the church. We respect and submit to our own leadership and the vision they have for the health and growth of our own local body. Is it because they think they know what's best? No, it's because they're committed to what the Word of God teaches. And from that comes the vision. From that comes the plans. So we submit to that leadership gladly, not grudgingly, but joyfully, knowing that it is God's design to have, for instance, a plurality of elders, to defend sound doctrine and move the church forward in a healthy way, to have deacons who are serving the needs of the local body, and all those other in leadership roles in the various ministries of the church, even our local missionaries, the missionaries that go abroad, the faithful see the value of Christ's church. And each of these roles that God has placed upon each person to fulfill his plans. Are we being faithful to lead and to be subject to one another in love for the sake of Christ? Now, as we talk about this faithfulness, it just might seem like a little too much to bear. Didn't Christ say... Give me your burdens so that your yoke is light? Of course he did. And he was referring to, of course, we can't earn our salvation. We rest in the one who is true and faithful. Our trust rests entirely on him. When I sit in a chair, I'm not really using my legs because I don't have to bear the weight of my own body. And it's like that with our 
righteousness. We rest in Christ. And at the same time, he commands us, with many commands in the New Testament, to go and to do and to serve and to be subject again to one another in love. Does this seem too much to bear, this faithfulness idea? Because we know for a fact that no one perfectly bears that responsibility for what has been entrusted to us. But we are assured that our weakness is made perfect in his strength. Anytime we fail in faithfulness, we run to Christ. We lay at his feet our shortcomings. And he strengthens us to get up and keep going. As those who reject the Lord are accursed, in verse 22, and I'll read that right now, he finishes with, The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca, Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he ends here, he says, The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, or anathema. And then he says the old Aramaic, Aramaic phrase, Maranatha, which means... O Lord, come. He, again, he knows the Master is coming. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ. In Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Maranatha. It is looking forward to that day the coming glory, the perfection, when we are truly and completely faithful as he is faithful. We are not there yet. We are not yet perfected in that way. But Revelation 19.11 tells us, and I saw heaven opened, looking ahead here, and behold a white horse, and he who sat on it is called what? Faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Our strong and conquering king can bear the weight of everyone in this room, the trust of everyone in this room, the sin of everyone in this room. He bears perfectly. That is why he is faithful and true. Only he can do that. Only he can keep all the promises he makes. Only his perfect strength is unwavering, even when we can't stand. He was faithful to do that work for us, and may we in turn be faithful as Paul was faithful. He wrote to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And remember, we're all missionaries in that way. We all, those who are believers, have been entrusted with this great um, gift, responsibility to be faithful to the gospel of Christ. So, uh, let's be faithful and um, 
Anyone have a comment before we close? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we have read this letter, the end of it, we pray, Lord, that we would look in the mirror, spiritually speaking, uh, to see in what ways we can be faithful. And we know that faithfulness is sometimes elusive because we forget our goal you, and we forget the stewardship that we do bear because we bear the name of Christ. So we pray, Lord, for your mercy, and we pray, O Lord, for your direction and your strength, especially for um, those that may be new in the faith and those who have maybe gone through some recent trial. We pray, O Lord, that you would give them comfort the strength that they need to uh, be faithful. And we are only faithful at all because you are faithful. So we pray, O Lord, that we would recognize that and praise you daily uh, for any faithfulness that we return to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.